Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sugar My Bones, a podcast about misremembered memories. I'm Ross O'Brien. I'm joined by my co-host and lifelong friend, Mark Haskins. Hello. Hey, Mark. What's happening? Well, what is happening is that we are trying to kick this podcast off with a hopefully not laborious backstory. I'm trying to find a a neat way to describe why we're we're doing this. Why are we doing this? Well, I, I think we are both emerging from this pandemic in very, very different uh, states of repair, which we'll get into in a moment. Uh, but we, as most of the world, have spent the better part of a year kind of contemplating our navels and also our back catalog of um, pop culture and media memories. I wanted to talk to you, still want to talk to you about many different things, including our lost commandy episode which hopefully we will <laughs> we will resuscitate at some later date but uh given that you and i are men of a certain age we have a certain affinity for things in the well i don't want to fence us into gen x mode but it's certainly our love of pop culture comics media film and tv all stem from a certain place that probably be began around 1972. Um, Sounds about right. And I want to spend a little bit of time getting into uh, pieces of that and sort of pick it apart from a, well, let's say, without being highfalutin, something of an anthropological perspective. But onto the main reason I want to do this, I want to have a long cathartic period of remembering the shit that used to obsess us back in the day. Um, The title, Sugar My Bones, uh, it comes from, uh, and I just found this word out just before we started, a mondegreen. Do you know what a mondegreen is, Mark? Maybe I have a feeling I'm going to find out shortly. (laughs) I'm actually probably also sure that I'm going to be told it's not pronounced Mondegreen, it's pronounced Mongren or something. Anyways, it is the official word that is used to describe a misremembered but well-considered lyric of a song. So in other words, when you start singing karaoke and find yourself convinced that the readback lyrics are wrong that and you've been able to sing a song of a certain, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of another example other than Sugar My Bones, but uh, um, when you say, what rhymes with pina colada? Well, now I'm on the spot. (laughs) Anyways, Sugar My Bones comes from the phrase in a a James Brown lyric, um, Sex Machine, actually. Somewhere in the second verse, James Brown tells us that you've got to have the feeling sure as you're born. And for years, four years, for most of my life, I thought he was saying, you've got to have the feeling 
sugar my bones as some sort of old wise saying that guaranteed that you would do it sort of you know dag nabbit and sugar my bones or to be to know. be fair as a as a white guy raised in a rural area that is a totally respectable thought to have oh i'm not i'm not ashamed of <clears throat> my ashamed mystery of sugar my bones <clears throat> no but i but i was i was dead convinced it was a saying that was right up there with you know tarnation or well no sorry when's the last time you said tarnation? good lord i am living i am i'm i find these days that i'm i'm adding conservatively 20 years on to my my linguistic life every time I open my mouth and shoo kids off my lawn. Um, <laughs> at any rate, sugar by bones used to be a thing that I said, usually to myself, usually in lieu of dag gummit or something else. And I was convinced that that was, that had a, that had a, had a resonance. And then it gave me resonance. And then I realized I was saying it wrong, which is Kind of the theme song of my life writ large. <laughs> this week, we're going to take a look at a dystopian classic of the 1970s, but not the property that actually everybody thinks about. Logan's Run, 1977 uh, flick, which um, seared itself into the brains of most people of our age and our dispensation for media. But I want to talk to you about my love of the one season of television that followed from that monumental movie. It spawned a year's worth of television, which is both crazy and mundane and worth about an hour of our time. And very, very, very 70s. (laughs) Or is it very... 2021 um we'll get into that how's your post-pandemic going man how's your post-pando i i have a i have a feeling uh significantly better than, than yours is um damn damn sugary <laughs> yeah uh, but, but but please go first travel travel has a what it's like to live in the right. land of French kiss and traveling maniacs. Right, I'm here. Right, I'm here in the United States, in uh, on on the East Coast, um, and things are just about back to normal. Um, I'm in a, I'm in the Mid Atlantic region, and we're still uh, we're still masking when we go into a public place. But I just got back from uh, rural New York, and they are not masking at all. They're, and and it's fine. It's it's not irresponsible. Um, so things you say, are when you, when you, okay. So 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 let me plumb on that bit yeah. just a second because again, I live for for the the listener at home. I live in in Hong Kong. Have for nearly a quarter century. Mark and I grew up together in, in rural ass New Hampshire. Um, but when you say that people are not being irresponsible, mm-hmm. that just triggers me because I've been living in the thick of of Asia lockdown, where to just step out of the house without a mask is, well, it's fine worthy of police catching, but it's but it's also just socially irresponsible. And it has been for literally eight, eight, 18 months. Nobody would think that you are doing 
a good thing if you weren't wearing a mask here. How did you guys switch off this so quickly? It was weird once the vaccines came along. It wasn't this way when the vaccines first started, but after it became available to the general population, there was almost a palpable exhale here. Uh, mm -hmm. And I mean, people are still being reasonably careful. There's a lot of restaurants that are still doing social distancing. A lot of grocery stores still say you have to wear the masks. But uh, case after numbers, you French kiss them. After we French kiss them. Well, that was happening before the pandemic anyway. French kissing. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know how long it's been since you've been to the United States, but French kissing is mm. huge here now. Jesus, it's great. <laughs> anyway, um, it, like I said, there's a collective exhale. Everybody's a lot more chill about it and things almost mm. like a rubber band kind of snap back to uh an almost normal and, and again i'm sure if, if numbers start to spike again that will change but right now it's looking okay and at, in fact I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear that that in your neck of the woods things are still kind of restrictive yeah well i'll only bore you slightly with the details because i think that some of them kind of feed into our, our general conversation around dystopia and dystopic literature. Um, so obviously China, ground zero for uh, the COVID pandemic. And I mean, you know, I'm thousands of miles from, uh, well, maybe not thousands, eh, a couple thousands of miles away from Wuhan where things started. But um, if you recall, Hong Kong was, was the effective ground zero of uh, the SARS pandemic in right. 2003. And it was that event um, and a couple of scares in the intervening years, you know, swine flu and bird flu and uh, hibiscus flu and all the flus kind of came through and really kind of laid down this ethos, this, this, into the into the societal firmament of how you respond to a lockdown or sorry how you lock down in response to a pandemic so it's it's a it's a it's muscle memory now in asia and so it's really quick to people are really quick to throw on masks and you know over the last two decades it's not weird to see lots of people on subway in many asian countries you know from you know singapore to to japan and korea um, you know, people, it, it is not weird. It's never been weird for a long time, the last two decades, for people to walk around with masks. You're like, oh, they must have sure. a cold. Aren't they being a responsible member of this society? But there is an added extra dy dystopic element here in Hong Kong, which, again, without rabbit holing, um, Hong Kong is you may know has over the last couple of years, well, and for many years, been kind of constantly warring against its new colonial masters in, in China. Yeah. And to a certain extent, ever since the handover, there's been this long pause in consideration of what Hong Kong is as a place. And, you know, there's been this often stated maxim it's one country, but two systems. And for a long time, it was two systems. But then after a long bout of trying to kind of wrestle with the, the borders of where that two systems lay, 
a, an attempt to introduce an extradition law in Hong Kong a couple of years ago sparked a massive series of protests that um, sort of proved to be the, the straw that broke the you know, repressive communist overlords back. <laughs> and in, in, in that, there was a huge, perhaps overcorrection from, uh, from the Chinese authorities, uh, introduction of new security law, massive um, attempts to control crowds and because, you know, all these um, events where nearly, in some cases, perhaps 20 to 25% of all of Hong Kong, so we're talking millions of people in a city of 8 million, sort of take to the streets in protest. All of these completely overwhelmed cops and infrastructure and all that. Um, being able to have a law which kind of restricts people's ability to do that came in quite handy. You know, throw in a, a side order of pandemic where this, where it is physiological, inadvisable to congregate in uh, large spaces with large numbers. Throw in an election at the end of this year where the government of Hong Kong has decreed that will vet every candidate for their district councillor positions. Oh, boy. Um, and in which nobody is registering to vote because these sort of pre-picked sanitized patriots are going to be um, put up for office. You have the conditions which make a government anxious to keep its people settled down, keeping them settled down with the excuse, the, the yeah, how would you say it, the justifiable, semi-justifiable excuse of, of extending social distancing so that's I mean okay so th this is this is Hong Kong this is the added with the added sort of tinfoil haddish conspiracy theory that swirl around in my brain but this is not unique to Asia at all or you know Australasia Australia is not going to open up until the end of next year New Zealand Singapore Korea Japan, for crying out loud, and they're holding the Olympics in a couple of weeks, and they're having, you know, running street protests of people who don't want, you know, their all these global, sexy global Olympiads strolling through the streets because they still haven't, they still haven't um, gotten caseloads down. So, one foot firmly planted in pandemics past, one foot firmly planted in a tendency to want to lock down societies when things are a bit angsty gives you um, kind of the inverse of the, the French kiss and freedom that you are currently enjoying. Wow. I must be naive because I, I was only thinking, gee, their caseload must still be high. I, I, I wasn't no, there's been, there's been zero cases, zero native cases here for the last two weeks. Oh, there have geez. been no, there have been no cases that have been kind of, institutionally within the borders of Singapore, sorry, well, Singapore is the same way, but I mean, you know, small, you know, rich entrepreneur, entrepreneurial city that loves to crack down on its people. But <laughs> the, all the cases are imported from other hotspots. So they've just, if you will, erected a dome over the city. Ooh, I smell a transition. Did you see what <laughs> I did there? <laughs> 
Did you fucking see what it did there? Segway. <laughs> the listener will never the, catch it. They'll just be like, that was nah, seamless. Holy fuck. Seamless, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I live in the Dome City, which, you know, I, I confess is kind of why I start, started thinking about our beloved Logan's run, um, which was, a, at the time, just about came out just about a year before Star Wars, yep. kind of at the tail end of um, the, uh, the Charlton Heston dystopia extended universe. Soylent Green and Planet of the Apes and Omega Man. It kind of came at the end of a period of science fiction that was well and truly about um, the um, the bad things. You know, well and truly ruminating about what may befall us should we get shit done. Get, get, what am I saying? <laughs> the bad things that will ha- help, that will befall us should we be wrong about the choices that we were making societally, culturally, technologically. Um, you know, that's somewhat. Am I being an old get off my lawn fart for thinking that this is something that isn't really in the conversation about? kind of big tentpole science fiction today. In other words, do I have it wrong that back in the day, science fiction used to be about stuff, man, that really mattered. And now it's about Chris Evans' abs. <laughs> no, I think uh, I think the post-apocalyptic uh, vibe to sci-fi is, is still alive in, in some properties like uh, The Walking Dead wallows in it Uh, i I don't think it i also don't think it has very much to say about it though it's just kind of a a place to set the misery um that's a good way to put it i like that the 70s was was quite a bit more uh obsessed with this is the ultimate consequences of our actions let's set a sci-fi movie there whereas uh i think in the modern day it's just kind of like oops virus they're zombies and it's it's not as uh, <laughs> I, I, I won't and say that. And let's essentially have a, a rom com or a family situational set amongst the rotting corpses of the exactly infected. exactly. <laughs> no, okay, I, yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, you know, because as I said, you know, every time I consider these things, I automatically think that it's just because um, I'm an increasingly old and cranky person who thinks that all his all the shit from his youth is better than what is now before us. But well, as an objective I, I love... fellow middle-aged man, you are 100% right. So, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for validating your feelings. So uh, how uh, I'm very conscious of not wanting to sort of recap the entirety of what Logan's run is before we get into kind of discussing what it means. But... Um, how do we breach this? Uh, I have an idea, and, and maybe this isn't the, the right way to, to go about it, but, but if, if I were to ask you, um, because as we talked about off mic, I've been steeping in this, you know, I've been sort of building a, a case file, um, you know, many PowerPoint slides deep <laughs> into the reason Logan's 
run is important, but you said, no, man, I'm going in cold. I'm That's gonna, right. I'm going to be like the opposite of method. I'm going to be, I'm just going to react. Acting is reacting. Podcasting is just pod reacting. Podcasting. Uh, right. So, um, so I'm going to throw it to you, natural born killer. What <laughs> is your remembrance of Logan's run in 30 seconds or so. My remembrance is is painfully superficial. I think you're going to take a much more intellectual deep dive into this because no, uh, no, but, but see, I want I want the painfully superficial oh, no, thing that, just that, just just to get us through, just to get me over the hump, man. Gotcha. Get, All right, get it over my, the hump. My overwhelming memories of the TV show are I remember none of the plots whatsoever. I do remember uh, that I love the production design, which they just stole from the movie. But uh, yeah. the production design of that movie and that TV show was really, really good when it came to the awesome Sandman costumes, the guns and stuff, and Heather Menzies' super mm. short little toga. Um, yeah, I, and yeah. this has nothing to do with anything, but uh, Heather Menzies, <laughs> greater than Jenny Agutter, in, in my like you know fourth grade opinion, or however old we were. Oh, um, and they just, she, she, She's just a Farrah Fawcett clone. Man. She's a Farrah Fawcett clone, but she's not playing the Farrah Fawcett character. So they they kind of they uh, kind of mix their their metaphors there a little bit with that character. But anyway, okay, um, I know nothing about mixing metaphors. <laughs> but my my overwhelming uh, memory of that show was um, well, of course, as 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 everything was at the time, extremely episodic, no over uh, overrunning arc, no real character development, just like, oh, here's a problem. Oh, we solved it. Let's go in our little hover car and drive away now. Um, okay. I, I, it, but, if I, but if I were to ask you to kind of, and, and, and feel free to borrow from the movie as well, sort of, sure. but if you were to su sum up the plot of the movie or the pilot of the TV show, sort of like, the, give me the, the existential essence of what Logan's Run is as, as, a, as a skeleton plot okay existentially um mm. the characters lives uh and literally their lifespans are defined by a an ai that tells them how long they're going to live in an in an uh an effort to preserve resources in a post-apocalyptic world they live in a luxury domed city However, they're murdered, I believe, when they're 30, I think 30 years old, thanks to their little palm flowers turning black. Um, mm. A lawman escapes. Uh, a sandman who uh, kills the people who run away is assigned to uh, pretend to run away and uh, find where all the people who run away from this situation are going. Mm. And uh, in the movie, he finds where they're going. In the television show, he does not. He just keeps on looking with his robot and his hot girlfriends. Right. So we'll get into the sort of keep on truckingness of the of the television show in a moment. But thank you. That's you know that was the hump I needed to to clear. Um, it is a story of a man who has and I like that that you said a lawman. You know, you, uh, I like that. Because essentially he he is sort of is the man who has kind of bought into the system the most, finally sort of breaking ranks. Even though, as you point out in the in the film, Logan played by Michael in the film, and what's his face um, Gregory Harrison, I think. 
yes, Gregory Harrison, who went on to become uh, Dr. Gonzo in Trapper John M.T., um, which was this bizarre franchise extension of MASH. Um, Truly bizarre. Um, which, again, you know, back when, you know, we were kids, one had to watch because we watched all the stuff, even the stuff that wasn't sort of like, pro, like, why would we want to watch a movie about a, a hippie doctor living in a van in the parking lot of a Southern California hospital, listening to the main character sort of reinterpret his Korean War memories? Like, why would that interest a kid? Because it was on television, right? Exactly. It was one of the, and, the three shows available to you at any given time. But before he did that, he, you know, Greg was you know, carrying a cool gun and had an iconic gray and black uniform and was living a, or, or whether it was kind of, as you say, running from place to place. Logan's Run had, I would say, unlike Star Wars and unlike Star Trek, and these are important poles in the the arc of science fiction or genre, uh, space genre fiction um, of the time, sort of between the 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 purely dystopic or utopic. I mean, I guess Star Trek, everyone could argue, is a, is a utopia, or rather, in search of a utopia. Sure. Um, I'll come back to that because one of the things that I think I like most about the, the television show is that it sort of it made this transition from its dystopic roots. And I'm going to keep saying dystopic until somebody tells me it's not a word. Um, we'll turn and, it but into you're a not, drinking you're, game. It's all good. You're not going to fucking do it. You're not going <laughs> to do it. Um, the dystopic heritage of the book and the film um, then kind of becomes a utopic story as Logan's run and Jessica's uh, Logan's run Logan and Jessica and Rem kind of, you know, wander the earth like Kane, um, basically checking in on all these sort of utopian experiments that, that exist out in the desert. None of that stuff was in, was, was in the original, but that's, that's fine. But I mean, it, it owes quite a lot to, what we kind of thought of as episodic episodic science fiction at the time, mm -hmm. you know, civilization of the week. I mean, that's the Star Trek template out of the teeth. Hey, here are the blue people. Maybe they don't really know what it means to be blue. Maybe we can teach them. Um, the iconic style and design is something I think holds for you. I mean, you know. It, Sexy what grabbed me as a kid, yeah. Yeah, 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 and me too. And, 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 and I think that sort of, you know, if you sort of look at the, again, these two eras, the dystopic era and the heroic era of sci-fi. So, you know, dystopic is, you damn dirty apes. You know, Planet of the Apes, Logan's Run, they all had icons of iconic images, one for another, and, you know, you can argue that this has always been um, kind of what motivates you to kind of return to, say, the Planet of the Apes franchise. Um, 
in the show notes, I sort of did a little clip of um, uh, the the Bathing Ape logo. Do you know this <laughs> this Tokyo brand? I mean, it, it's crazy for me to think about sort of the, this sort of T-shirt brand out of Asia that just kind of picked up on a couple of the barest points of what Planet of the Apes meant and ran with it. Um, I mean, so too, so too did, did, did Logan's run. And of course, Star Wars, that's, that's the juggernaut, right? I mean, Star Wars kind of took the, we got to icon, iconographize, that's a word too, this shit to the T. Um, and, you know, somebody must have spent a lot of time perfecting the Stormtrooper outfit before it ever saw a screen. I don't think... Um, I don't think they were thinking this through so much in the planet of the, the apes and um, Logan's run period, which isn't, I'm not trying to say that, that, you know, these earlier, truer <laughs> dystopic visions of the future, these real science fiction meditations um, that sort of sprung out from pulp fiction magazines of the 50s Ray Bradbury oh don't step on the butterfly we'll all have three arms you know I mean but but that but essentially it's sort of the 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 the, the forbidden twilight zone of of the early 70s was hey let's show you what could happen and let's comment on what what we could do differently but one of the, the reasons we, it all had it stuck to your the in, the inside of your brain cage was that you know the Sandman outfit was cool you know the you know Jenny Agater you know was wearing like three inches of silk across her entire body and that was cool and uh, sometimes nothing at all which you know to a kid I mean, my age was like hello mm. but okay so but here's the thing so so maybe I mean I'm I'm a I'm a, a curmudgeonly old sock now, but I think I was an I wasn't necessarily an anxious child, but I think I always kind of knew that shit was going down. I think I was always a cynical child, and so I think that when I you know when you see the damn dirty apes coming over the hills with the nets and kind of capturing the humans, when you see the Sandman sort of laughingly shoot runners who are leaving this dystopian um, bubble city, I kind of felt, yeah, you know, this was bound to happen. I, I felt I kind of got the, the undertones of dystopia. And, you know, this is, has a, it has a bunch of different sources. I mean, the book in 1967, I mean, I'm going to get to this in a second, it was it was about overpopulation and youth culture. So it was like it was this weird mashup where you know these these guys who were these these kind of hacky science fiction writers who I think you know who wrote for um, uh, the Twilight Zone and Star Trek and whatnot. I mean they and 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 referenced a lot of their own geek cultural obsessions right in the in the forward of the book. Um, William Nolan, who is the primary author, along with George C. Johnson, um, wrote a really long sort of acknowledgement in the beginning of Logan's run, which kind of say, which kind of laid out all their influences, but they were so varied and vast. 
from Mickey Mouse to Errol Flynn and every manner of pulp fiction thing from the 50s and 60s that, you know, even before, even before our time. Point being is that, that, that he was already kind of pre-programming, hey, I've got all these, these, these genre tropes inside me. I want to get out, get them out onto this book where I'm actually also worried about the damn youngsters taking over and there just being too many damn people in the world. So you had like that set of dystopian, dystopic obsessions. And then the film is kind of recast in 1970s post oil shock, you know, resource anxiety, climate change issues, because that's when, you know, the first dollops of uh, acid rain kind of come down. Yep. So you, you know, and it don't make sense if the world's going to hell. So when I was enjoying all this media as a kid, and this is what I'm kind of just realizing now in middle age. So as I was enjoying this, I also kind of understood why it was happening. In other words, I kind of said, yeah, you know, it's the acid rain. You know, my grandmother used to sort of sit on her porch and when she forgot something, she'd say, oh, don't mind me. It's just, it's just the acid rain kicking. Like she used to blame <laughs> her absent-mindedness on climate change. Um, sorry, I rambled on a bit about it, but, but I felt that I understood the subtext to all this stuff because, again, I was cynical didn't see a way out, still kind of don't. Um, did any of that resonate with you? Or did, you know, did you, did, did that need to be part of why any of this stuff made sense? The, the cynicism for me uh, did not start as young as, as you. I did not become cynical until probably probably gradually into my 30s. Uh, I recognized the problems, but I was also naive enough to, to be kind of like, oh, they've got this. They'll figure this out. People are smart. And it's like, oh, and then you go, the older you get, you realize, oh, crap, people aren't smart. So did you think in one episode or another of Logan's Run that they were going to find Sanctuary? No. No, as as okay. as a even as a even as a child, I was not cynical about the future, but I was very cynical about television. And I was like, uh, ah, they're never gonna, they're never said, gonna get the there. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I've been disappointed. I'd been hurt enough by that point by television to know that there would be no conclusion. Yeah, let me bring this down. So in 1967, as I say, these two dorks, these sort of you know folks who already sort of exhibit many of the many of the traits that we see in today's um, science fiction obsessed um, or you know genre fiction obsessed auteurs sure. who kind of editor writer JJ Abrams or all these guys who can just throw in everything that they love into the, these are all the, this is all the shit I love and and you know you have these sort of these mixy, messes and pastiches of of cultural tropes like as i said these guys set laid it on laid it on the line when they wrote this this fairly slim book about um a world where in the book y'all everyone took the big sleep at 21 so it was exclusively a super youthful like you know the world 
will not survive because there are just too many young people humping and reproducing themselves. So let's, as you say, put an AI, let's put a bot to manage the reproduction, let them all hump themselves until they're 21, but then let's just call them. Yeah. And in the book, rather than obsess about this, I'll just lay it out there. there there's no dome. It's a global thing. Like the world is just a youth apocalypse. You know, we got... Great album title, keep... by the way. Sorry. <laughs> no. Continue. Yeah, fine. I'll continue. I mean, everybody, you know, Logan is, yes, he works for the Deep Sleet State. He is he's a company man. Um, in the book, the Sandmen sort of draw draw a lot of their iconography from Wild West gunslingers. So again, as I was, you know, I like the way you sort of referenced Lawman, because in the book, that's what the archetype is. They even have like the, the guns in the book are pearl-handled hand, six-shooters. Um, but, I mean, each of the six cartridges is one's a, a stun gun, and one's a, um, a, you know, just just put them to sleep, don't kill them. One's a, whatever, a gauzy net. I forget what. But the, the point being is that they kind of walk around like cowboys. They are literally playing cowboys and Indians with everybody around them who is on their way to either they're on their way to a pile of drugs or a pile of of uh sexin or they're on their way to die and and so it's but it's a global society where people live you know go total hedonistic until they're 21 and they you know they go on they fly around the world and don't really it doesn't really amount to much i mean it's 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 this is it's not a book with deep world building but the thing that is really quite um striking about this is that in the book sanctuary israel um francis who is logan's partner who in the film and the and the and the television series is the guy who is sent to bring Logan back in. And he's, he is, he remains a company man. Francis is actually a double agent. So spoilers, if you want to read this 60 year old, uh, um, you know, sketchily written dystopian novel, but he, he's actually been going to um, plastic surgery places forever and he's actually 40 so he's like an old curmudgeonly guy who's infiltrated the system and he's actually guiding logan to sanctuary which is actually on the moon um <laughs> sanctuary is a real place and it's on the moon and they get there to die at the end um and uh, I, I mean i can kind of see why they sort of trimmed things back I mean, none of this sort of self-contained dome city stuff is in is in the is in the film. However, a lot of like the you, you know a lot of the main themes are there. Um, you know, the super sex, the cathedral, the notion that you know drug-ridden children are constantly waiting around every corner to mess with your day. Government by algorithm. You know, kind of, we're all this notion that we are perhaps much like today, living in a in a society of gratification, 
um, sort of with lots of with run increasingly by a robotic superstate, but with lots of like pesky children fucking up at, in in every corner of society. That's all there, um, and. I don't know. I mean, it's all like way heavier and, and it's, it's both, sorry, I'm going to stop for a second, but, but, but here's the thing that sort of gets me about Logan's run. It's way heavier and weightier in concept about like the world's created, but unlike Star Wars, The Expanse, I don't even realize that's a big jump between those two properties, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it, there's, it does nothing to really build out the world. And so this is the thing I struggle with, like sort of, you know, it's, it's deeper on one level, but like wafer thin on another. And like most of the things that we enjoy now are so like, you know, world, world building is a verb that's in, even in non-geeks vocabulary. Sure. How did that come to pass? And again, this is not a, oh, woe is me. I'm just saying like sort of, I mean, I, I'm, I'm criticizing what I think are the fact that these early attempts to kind of think about things like the youth revolution, overpopulation, resource constraints, like they try to tackle all this stuff, but they did kind of such a flimsy job of just kind of fluffing it up there and oh, maybe they have a, jewel in their hand and that goes dark yeah this sounds good well i think where, that's where, uh, by contrast like star wars which means absolutely nothing i'm sorry for all the star wars enthusiasts but like you know, nobody really knows re really wants to know about the trade wars that that consumed the galactic federation because they make no sense and they don't really speak to any real problems in life, but they are so well articulated. Am I, well, there's, there's, am I articulating there's, this at all? No, 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 you are. And I think um, there, there's two things going on. I think in, I can only speak really to the, the movie and the TV series because the, the, the book was, I then remember reading. do it, son. Oh, damn it, I shall. I remember reading the book a very long time ago, and it's not a fantastic book, but a lot of sci-fi of that era mm. was, and it was capable of taking deep dives. Uh, I think the problem you had in the 70s and probably well into the 80s was that, um, in general, there wasn't a whole lot of respect for the sci-fi audience, especially on television. There was wow. um, a sense, especially on television, a sense of embarrassment uh, about the entire medium. It was, it was, the movies was the big uh, respectable thing and television was just a pale imitation. And I think the people yeah. who made, to a large degree, the people who made science fiction television uh, weren't really interested in science fiction and didn't have enough of a budget to pull anything off and just figured make the guns and costumes look cool and the, you know, dorks who like science fiction will watch. And what right. happened later on, and you already touched on this, with uh, you know J.J. Abrams stuff and Star Wars in general. And Star Wars was terrific for what it was, but I think uh, if you're trying to take a deep dive intellectually into it, there's not a lot there. Um, trade what, wars! Trade wars! What happened with that was, um, I'm going to go back to a comic book analogy, but uh, 
there was a quote from the 90s when comic book artists like, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with like Rob Liefeld, and just the, they drew these ridiculously muscled people with, you know, muscles that don't actually exist on the human body, but they couldn't draw a table or a car. And uh, someone made the point that early comic book artists drew what they saw in the world, and later comic artists drew what they saw in comic books. And I think that's the same. Uh, uh, that's the same of movie makers. That's J.J. Abrams. Yeah, like, yeah. I loved all this stuff when I was a kid. Let's mix it all up and make it look really cool and fun. And that's what it is. But mm. and another thing I thought of when you were talking about uh, Logan's run and the ideas versus the execution is um, uh, Kilgore Trout from uh, Slaughterhouse Five. Do you remember oh that my character? God. Kurt Vonnegut? Not he as was, well as you, but okay. No, damn. I, he just, he all right. Made, no, no. He, he, he yeah, was an fair author. Enough an author renowned for having absolutely brilliant ideas uh, with, with layers and depth and being completely unable to realize them with his prose. Right. And that, that, that is, I think, what we're looking at here. It's like Logan's Run is a okay. terrific idea, and it kind of in, the, in the movie it kind of turns into pew, 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 I'm going to shoot you. And in the TV series yeah. it kind of turns into, well, we can't show people shooting people because it's 70s television, so it'll right. be kind of silly. Right. I two cents. Good point. Thank you. No, very solid two cents. Um, at a pivotal moment of the movie where Logan, um, and this is going to be sort of the transition point from the movie to the film, Logan essentially is still kind of a company man because he's been forced, he's been forced onto his last day. You know, his life flower has gone black. The, the, the robo governor tells him to go and find sanctuary, sanctuary, <laughs> find sanctuary, eradicate it, you know, leverage his relationship with the runner and go. When they, fi when they finally break through the Dome City and they kind of go through the, the guts of it, all the cooling and heating ducts, which I think, again, was done pretty effectively in, in the movie, sort of the notion Absolutely. that outside of, outside of this big, you know, fairyland of, of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, there is a, you know, swirling um, morass of cables and ducts and heating and cooling elements and a robot who sits and collects all the fish that they need to kind of go into their protein pills. So Box is this is the, the minotaur that they have to slay to get out into the rest of the world, but he's he's kind of he's been so program pro programmatized. Um, are you gonna give that one to me, or are you gonna? I'm gonna let you take programmatized. I can't come up with a better word. <laughs> I mean, he, or or rather, his his program has kind of been stuck in a rut where he's sort of like, I'm you know I need to call everything and free flash freeze it, which includes humans. So they they gotta kill him and move on but that that sort of allows them to break into the rest of the world now again in the book the world is the world there's no contained place that you have to get to um or rather you're not in a contained place that you have to get in break into the wider world um and in the movie there's this notion that oh war and famine and nuclear stuff have made the rest of the world toxic, um, which is also kind of the conceit to the 
uh, to the to the television shows, but just again, um, just like Star Trek, they these somewhat idealistic folks head into an unknown world where they're going to test their theories on what society actually should be against what is actually there. So again, you know, borrowing from the Star Trek kind of template, and this is where I'm going to ask you about this because I think you know much more about kind of the guts of television production sure. than I do. But it, it, it seems that like sort of Star Trek may or may not have been unique. And in fact, Logan's Run, the television show, borrows from a, a ton of other concepts. The Fugitive, for one. Yes. Where, you know, sort of, you know, we're on the run and we're going from town to town and we've got to find sanctuary. We've got to find a, a peaceful place. But no, you know, things are messed up here too. But maybe you could learn a valuable lesson if I just <laughs> swept your floor a little better. Point being, Logan's Run, television show, was kind of like the, the fugitive mixed up with Star Trek in that, you know, they were going from town to town. And of course, sort of good two questions for you. One, was this a unique construction, this sort of, you know, wander the road, wander the land like Kane thing, or rather can't be because I just referenced Kung Fu. But how deep does this trend in American television go? That's one question. And the other question is, I've forgotten, was the Incredible Hulk before or after this? Because they they also did that whole dun 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 thing and went from town to town hulking I think out. After. And... I think definitely after this. Um so the so the the whole trope of we're gonna go to this new place, we're we're ingenue explorers, uh on the run, um, and we're gonna learn a valuable lesson in this town and hope the villagers do too thing. Is this how have I just hit things that it was, or was this a was this am I being stupid? Is this was this American television? It depends on what uh my definition of stupid is <laughs> what your definition of television is. You see, no, it was um, th 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 this was a thing. Th th there were like road television shows, like uh, Route sixty six, um, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. the Fugitive. There were uh, shows like that. So this was, in a way, a genre. I don't think it was a particularly science fictiony genre, though. I know uh, the Planet of the Apes TV show didn't wander here and there. And there oh, were a few... oh well then then you misread you sugared oh, my really? bones. It was the same damn thing, you damn dirty ape. Was they it? okay. From uh, they went from bombed out hellhole to bombed out hellhole, being chased by General Ursa all the way. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna make a conversion. I have never seen the Planet of the Apes TV show. So then so, shut your mouth. So shut my damn mouth. <laughs> the uh I know there were a few. Okay, so we have Planet of the Apes following the same the same template. I know uh, Gene Roddenberry made in in between the Star Trek TV show and reviving it for movies made a couple of pilots with a similar post apocalyptic. We need to relearn everything theme um, mm. that probably would have had they developed would have turned into something like that. So yeah, I think any any American TV show that was that didn't have like you know a central set built was just kind of like ah. I wonder. 
Here we go. Right. Okay. Actually, here we here we go. So these these are you know I'm sorry I'm beginning to sound like some sort of um you know maybe I'm being a little too anthropological over this. So you either have television shows which are of a place in the place. Yep. Or those shows that went from place to place. Exactly. Well, okay. So so Logan's Run was definitely of the latter, and as I said, you know, yes. you know, it 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 kind of pitched between the fugitive i.e. they are on the run yep and star trek i.e. we are exploring and searching and looking for a better life and it is star trek that it kind of becomes most like over its 14 episodes in that some of the beats and some some of the the episodes beat for beat are, are nearly the same as as Star Trek episodes. And in fact, many of the people, um, Nolan, the book author included, wrote for both Logan's Run and Star Trek, or went on to work, write, mm-hmm. write for the next bunch of Star Trek. Star Trek is interestingly something that, that took, or sorry, Logan's Run is something that interesting took from the original series in this construction of finding a new ingenue society that just thinks that anybody who has only three fingers should die and take and and gave to the next generation now again i'm going to defer to your more encyclopedic knowledge of next generation but i mean the obvious sort of trope is the nearly human android who the who just kind of looks like a human, but really kind of thinks about what life is like under the, the singularity. Mm-hmm. Um, where they, they have a robot pal who is a dead ringer for data in the new generation, the next yep. generation, rather. Um, but I think a lot of the, the um, and, and here you can correct me, Logan's run kind of went to each one of these kind of, whoa, how is it that you have survived in this wasteland societies every single episode? Like an archipelago of disconnected, unknowing, post-apocalypse societies. They're all like 20 miles down the road from each other. Uh, and unaware um, of each other. And unaware of each other. <laughs> but but many of them, ironically, do know the domed city. In fact, in one episode, sorry, I'm going to rabbit hole a little bit. In one pivotal episode, they actually find the guy who's like the chief runner who's built a new society. Hmm. And and they all say, hey, come on, come back to the dome city with us. We really need to you know get the word out about this, this run and stuff. And he turns out to be kind of like a freaky... Um, Wizard of Oz type, and then sort of like, no, I've you know, I've I've been swept away to Kansas or you know, Oz from Kansas, and you know, here I shall stay, and you can't leave either. Um, point being is that in in each of these discoveries, whether it was the society where um, the people are reverently worshiping a computer but not using the computer to actually learn they just they 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 like the concept of sure. this com- computer architecture and you know logan and rem sort of show up and say hey you know maybe you might actually think about learning from that thing like, oh 
Thanks, Logan. Right. We'll be on our way to the society. We where... never thought of that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, but it, but it was like that sort of like, you know, um, every episode seemed to reinforce this notion within Logan and Jessica that, you know, sanctuary is within them all along because, you know, Logan and Jessica are actually pretty um, fulfilled and actualized people. Almost again, like Cain roaming the earth, knowing kind of what's up, looking for sanctuary. However, never doubting that they know what sanctuary should be. And they're able to clock each new disparate civilization and say, nope, this ain't sanctuary. Come on, Ren, let's get back into the hovercraft. However, maybe you should think about removing these veils from your women, which again is in, um, which is in Turnabout, the, the penultimate episode of it. They actually have a very kind of ISIS-like society um, that they go and convince to stop being so dogmatic about the separation between male and female people. And then they hit the road. So every time they go someplace, figure out what they're not doing sanctuary-ish, sort it out, hit the road. Boom, boom, boom. I hate to say this. I truly hate to say this because it's such it, a cliche, but is sanctuary the friends we made along the way? Yeah, I think so. Well, I mean, I think even deeper than that, I think actually they, they already they, – they well the friends actually yes and no <laughs> sanctuary is within our heroes um with every single messed up somewhat reactionary or stupid remember that arthur miller play i think we we actually put it on in high school the crucible yes okay Nearly every society is kind of like that. Oh, we're going to stone someone once a year because we've always done so. And then, you know, Logan and Jessica rock up in the hovercraft and like, well, what if you didn't stone them? And, you know, can we have that water that's in that really cool blue flask over there? Then we'll be on our way. But don't stone people. Here's our bushy eyebrowed robot to tell us you tell you more i mean so what i'm saying is they 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 go around and they figure out that every place is not sanctuary because of something that they've not done right or they've been too dogmatic or something it's usually that they've been too dogmatic and exacting they've been too literal about their interpretation of things. so the, the writer the writers really seem to have a problem with um with fundamentalism let's say again prescient <laughs> but but they never like L logan and jessica themselves never grow or change they are kind of always looking for their utopia you know sprinkling little bits of dystopia along the way mm -hmm. and then and then moving on and and again you know you could argue that that's the star trek template and again like as i say you know you remember charlie x that episode of the new oh yeah the, the the kind of all all powerful boy who's very pouty and can kind of crush you with his mind yep um they, they have an episode like that 
which is called The Innocent, which is, again, you know, the little girl that's sort of like, you know, no, I won't want Logan to stay here forever. And so they teach this sort of all-powerful psychic girl to kind of grow up and accept loss and 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 divergent paths um and and again you know you could argue maybe under um really really (laughs) um violent circumstances that nobody grows up in Star Trek, the original genera- the original series, right? I mean, Star Trek, Bones, Spock, McCoy, they don't change much. And by the end, so here's the pivot. Is this the same in the next generation? Like, do they, I'm not very familiar with that series, but over the course of the several years, do Picard and number two and all those guys, do they figure out some, only in the sense Shit along of, the way. Only in the sense of, of actors' portrayals getting more refined. I mean, they do uh, play with some uh, big concepts. Like, uh, there's one, I think, in the later years where uh, Picard lives an entire lifetime as another person. Uh, oh, yeah. Which, which was really interesting. But then, and after that, they do reference that occasionally, but it doesn't affect his week-to-week character um right i I think in the sense of something like you know you mentioned the expanse earlier something where you know the world building is so solid and people do change um i don't think yeah nothing like that was going to come along for another decade or two television wise so the expanse is is, a good sort of kind of point to start building to concluding thoughts here because the the types of of dystopic filmed entertainment that do try to wrestle with the big issues I eminently prefer over the heroic. Um, and I'd kind of almost, I, I would almost put the expanse into the broke, even, even though they've, they've kind of very solidly imagined a, a future a human society several hundred years in the future. I don't think they're really sort of sure, wrestling sure. with 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 existential issues. In fact, I mean, you know, the, the the main plot of that is that there's this Dusex Machina like sort of Star Trekian sort of portal thing that just pops up and they gotta deal with that. So, you know, again you're kind of yeah. going into the Death Star territory and you're still Heroic, but one of the things I will say that I that I do really like about how our representations of us in the future have matured is that you know most serious filmed science fiction these days does consider what happens to the actors in it over time, not the actors, but the characters in it over time, and they do grow and so. So, you know, upon reviewing um, these 14 precious episodes, I, <laughs> you know, came away feeling really, like, really dissatisfied that Logan and Jessica never got anywhere, except that they went everywhere. Um, and, right. you know, I spent half my time sort of saying, oh, is that the... Um, uh, you know, playing Mad Libs with the episode, trying to match it to its 
its its analogs in the past, which we're going to do now, right now. So I'm going to tell you the name of the Logan's Run series episode, and you're going to tell me what you think the trope is that is uh, that is oh, it references. So there's an episode called Capture. Okay. Capture. They, they go to a secluded expansive ranch with a, a charming elderly couple who have not heard of the Dome City. And they invite them to stay the night. Uh, as soon as you said ranch, uh, the greatest game the is, is most man the greatest game, game of all? Yeah, the yeah, most dangerous the most game, that's what it is. You, you've got it, got it in one. <laughs> oh, hit me again, this is great. All right, so uh, <clears throat> um, it's going to be hard. Um, man out of time. Um, wait, 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 wait. Uh, cryogenically frozen dude from the 20th century? Uh, close. Am I close? Okay. Uh, you're very close. Guy from the, well, the guy from the 22nd century. Ah, uh, from, from pre-apocalypse, though. Pre-apocalypse comes, but invents time travel. Goes to oh. goes to Logan and Jessica, and what do you think happens? He tries he to comes change. From, yeah. He tries to change the past, or he tries to take them back to the past. I don't know. He tries to figure out what happened. What was what was the catalytic what was the catalyst for their eminent destruction so it comes from a, a world that's on the brink and he's like oh this is all going to kick off let's go to when it all kicked off and fake and 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 backtrack and oh, these so are the he guys. starts it by mistake booyah <laughs> well done <laughs> it writes which, itself which is which 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 gives me the, the greatest line in in the whole series um, where he says, where he kind of, and, he, and before the earth blows up, he actually beams back a, a televised message to Logan and Jessica, like sort of as a farewell thing. On the eve of, <laughs> of the apocalypse, he... My bad, guys. One, yeah. Instead of beaming himself back to a future where he himself could survive, um, <laughs> he made all these post-apocalyptic friends, he just beams back a videogram, which says, which said, what I didn't realize was the time machine was the weapon all along. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Because, be, be, because, because once the superpowers realized that time travel was possible, that's when it all kicked off. We got a very sort of Dr. Strange, strange love, which I just watched very i'm gonna hold on to that for recommendation so last last uh <laughs> last pitch meeting here um let me pick one here half-life logan and jessica travel to uh, again you know 20 miles down the road this dystopic society gated community is a totally blissed out bunch of people who have figured it all out and they live 
wholly satisfactory lives. But just outside their borders are totally aggro people who just want in. What is the link between these two people in the two communities? The blissed out people are taking something from the people who want in, but I don't know what. Right. Or maybe the blissed out people and the aggro people are... Oh, the same? Yes. <laughs> yes. The blissed out people have found a way to strip out their aggro-ness into another people. Not bad. Awful, but useful. Yeah. <laughs> Unconscionable, so, I mean, but okay. Yeah. And again, so and it, so it it it, it falls on to um, Jessica and Logan to say, "Hey, what if you just you know dialed down each half of that proposition and just lived as the same person?" So I mean, again, and that's probably the most the most seventies one of, of hey, it Logan, all. We never thought of that. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. You need some thanks. water for the road. Thanks, Sandman. Um, See ya. You saved our civilization. <laughs> um, but, you know, just this, you know, neck of civilization, to, again, you know, I'm, and, 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 and I'm, what I'm realizing is I'm now sort of viewing this largely from the whole kind of world buildy future. World sure. building was the weapon all along. If only we'd known. <laughs> if only we know. So you know, I, I, I'm picking apart every one of these episodes, but each one of them has kind of well, not necessarily a, a unique proposition. Like I said, you know, in the third episode, um, Logan is being hunted like game by you know a kind of guy who looks like who looks like Ricardo Montalban and acts like kill Craven or Craven the hunter. I mean, he, <laughs> so, you know, that's very reductive, but I mean, each one of them, at least like they put, they put this, they, they, they put up the proposition. You can poke a zillion freaking holes in each of them, but the, the propositions are eminently interesting. I, I think towards the towards the end they start going back to the domed city like they think what they they realized somewhere around the mid middle of the show was oh maybe we're veering swerving too far over the road and maybe what really people want to see is carousel and dome city stuff so they kind of went back to carousel and kind of re-bathed everybody in the iconography of 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 the film and I don't know. I don't know what happened in those times, why shows got canceled or not. Um, but clearly the the staying power of these iconic images weren't enough. And maybe world building is is the key. You have to kind of give the property its own internal evolving logic rather than just yes. kind of as a springboard for ideas, which again is why sort of I was wondering if you had any thoughts on on the next generation because it seems to me that some for some reason I'm in the Star Trek franchise. I can't you tell me how many different Star Trek episodes were there and and over time or not episodes, how many different series 
kind of kept building on some premise that slowly but surely began to world build. So Star Trek went from episodic civilization of the week stuff to being yep. a to being a structured logical universe on its own sure. and and that was due simply to to longevity they uh you know when next generation came along they had time to i'm not saying that you know they they needed to recycle ideas but revisiting previous things and building on them uh became a thing and especially the series that came after next generation uh deep space nine went all in on that because they didn't they didn't travel places they stayed in one place and explored uh, basically the, the 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 little planet they lived by and the, the space station itself and eventually went into this huge extended storyline of a war that it was it it was really a very thoughtful thoughtful show now subsequent shows so they went so they went from from do from the fugitive to dobie gillis that's when they had stayed exactly exactly finally they embraced their their inner bob denver i can't remember who well, played dobie gillis I, I had to pull bob denver. no no he yeah but okay but actually the fact that you twigged on mater g krebs mean like you know brings me to the the main thesis, which is Deep Space Nine is Gilligan's Island. Really? Oh, you're not buying this. That's no, 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 no. That that's where that, that might be with the that might be with the podcast itself. <laughs> One's the skipper. <laughs> All right. I'm we tried to get there, but much like Logan and Jessica, but never did find Sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> Except that it is in me all along. Um, I know what I'm going to recommend, but what are you going to recommend? Thinking about like what should our readers, listeners, community? Well, be... you, you you hit. We've already hit several times on 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 the expanse, which okay is the 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 anti Logan's run. And that uh, you know, it's a TV series. A TV series that travels places and needs yeah. to continually exist isn't by necessity going to just spin its wheels for as long as it can. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, you know, most modern science fiction has an endpoint in sight. Um, have you read the books as well? Are you are you a yes, completist? Did, yes. Okay. I, I have read I have read the books, and I'm careful to not get ahead in the television series to spoil any any booky things. Oh, I didn't but, even yeah, know I, that, that was that was the deal. So there are books out there that actually sort of have already surpassed or rather the book series like the the it's one of those television shows that is playing it's not Game of Thrones in other words. Right. Right. Okay. It's uh <laughs> it's it, it's it, it's taking it's taking it condenses a lot of things uh in some cases more economically than uh, than the books do, mm. but uh, th there's there's all and, and it combines certain characters and things like that, but does it very skillfully. But uh, the books are are a are a uh, plot wise are a very similar experience. So yeah, you don't want to. But again, I think I think that's in terms of science fiction, that's like the the best thing I've seen in recent years. Yeah. So what's yeah. what's what's your recommendation? Well. I'm forgetting. Didn't I? Didn't I kind of semi plug it a few minutes ago when I said I'd come back to it? Um, and now I've forgotten it. And <laughs> fine. 
<laughs> by the look on your face, you have two. Uh, I have two. <laughs> well, come back um, to it. No, I mean, so I suppose a lot of people, I mean, again, the, the reason I kind of watch television series is that there's so many, perhaps because a lot of people have kind of been playing catch-up. It seems to be a thing in the ether. Everyone's kind of playing catch-up to, um, you know, lost series or things that you didn't kind of complete. Um, I listened to a podcast the other day where someone was talking about how they didn't go into details, but they just said they were kind of walking through the entirety of Mary Tyler Moore. And that seemed a bit wow extreme. Um, and I suppose sort of the same, the same kind of um, ethos ran through my, my efforts to kind of get back in touch with, Logan's run was like sort of like this is this is a a series that needs kind of locking down in in my brain um and I haven't found that with a lot of other things lately um although I did actually um rediscover and this is, you know, you, you're going to know this because you helped, you helped rediscover this for me by um, uh, suggesting that I, that I listen to this lecture by Howard Chaikin um, and, uh, uh, you know, famous um, comic artist from the, the 70s and 80s who um, redefined a lot of what I thought of when I said about iconic superheroes in the early 80s. And I think I kind of read this with you and discovered it at the same time, uh, American Flag. Um, American Flag, which again is sort of <laughs> not dissimilar to Logan's Run. It takes place in a, in a mall in Chicago, which is kind of its own pleasure drome ecosystem. And American Flag, Reuben Flag who is newly returned from the exiled American government on Mars, takes up arms as kind of a badass lawman to re-normalize society in a post-apocalyptic Chicago. Um, and again, you know, no, <laughs> no surprise that all those kind of society on the tail end of, of uh, things uh, appealed to me, but it was it, it, rereading the first 24 issues of American Flag, and even out to 24, it's too much because then it kind of gets into other people's heads. Like once it started becoming not all Howard Shaken, it just went off. Yeah. Um, um, so, you know, again, just like the British only do one or two television series and they call it quits we should probably think about that more um but american flag by howard chaykin rock solid masterpiece of american comic book art that i do not know how in this day and age where sweet tooth and the boys and every other damn indie comic property is now a netflix or a hulu series don't know how this never got picked up. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Not that I, not that I would want it. Not that that, not that just be, not that a comic book has to make it into a television property to be validated. I'm just so very surprised. Just like I'm surprised, I'm right there with you. Nobody ever made a Elric of Meldabody movie, but yep. It's, so. And it's frust. Well, it's actually, you know, it might not be a bad thing because if someone had tried to make an Elric movie in the '90s it would have been probably on the same level as the Captain America movie from the 90s. Just this horrible, okay. low-budget, good Who intention. Who would have played Elric in the 90s? Go. Oh, good question. Um, God, who was super thin in the 90s? Who was sickly in the 90s? Um, <laughs> and if, if it was the 70s, I'd say Bowie easily. But uh, right, yeah. Well, yeah. I can't think of who I, in the nineties. Yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Now, 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 you got me thinking. No, no, no. That's better. Let's let's not let's not parse that. Let's just let's just sit and meditate on uh, David Bowie as <laughs> in his thin white Duke period as the Witch King of Meldemony. Um, Behold my soul, yeah. Stormbringer. <laughs> Not well, bad. It, well, but, but like in, in the same vein, though, uh, an American flag movie made in the 90s would have featured some square-jawed guy punching out the bad guys, where if either of those properties mm. was made today for Amazon or Netflix, I, it would be spectacular. So maybe yeah. it's best that, the, that, the, that these marinate in the culture for a couple of decades now that we're at peak TV, whatever that is. Right. Uh, well, I mean, again, so, you know, now why not? Why? Exactly. Because I, I, not again, not to be old grumpy about it, but I mean, I've never, did you ever read Sweet Tooth? I think I might've picked up one or two issues. No, um, no, I was completely okay. unaware of it until I saw the promos. Yeah. Um, I mean, I liked the first couple issues because they're very impressionistic and sort of, you know, again, far darker, Blah blah blah. They've apparently sort of sweetened and lightened and made made Sweet Tooth a lot sweeter in the television production. But anyways, um, you know, I'm not I'm not going to join that parade. I don't think all our comics need to become television shows, but it sure is a fine way to monetize them. Mm-hmm. All right, um, we are Sugar My Bones Pod at gmail.com. And somewhat saucily, we are S My Bones on Twitter at S My Bones. Please reach out oh, to us. Oh yeah. We, I'm going to try to broadcast what we're going to ruminate about next time. But um, I'm also very, very keen to hear your thoughts about what we should be thinking about in in the future um i'm also gonna throw the the controls over to you for the next episode mark so you gotta think about your lost detrius floodsome jetsome property (laughs) that i'm going to come cold and unawares of to the show so don't tell me now give us some oh i won't all right all right folks thanks for listening mark Thanks for being on the other side of the universe and starting As your day while I finish. All right, man. I hope life Take gets care. less repressive. You too. <laughs> no. You got to have the feeling. Sure, you bone. <laughs>